Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. Some of you will know because I've said it before, I'm doing slightly few live theatrical episodes of The Guilty Feminist every year in order to put more into those because 52 a year is a lot and I'm tired. It's been seven and a half years. So I want to really focus and I don't want the quality to dip. The show's evolved. There was all sorts of things we did in the early days that we don't do now, but that's just you know how life goes. Things evolve, things change. I've changed. Uh, but I do just want more time and energy for those live episodes. And we have, we've realized this incredible vault back catalogue And we've had a few people say, you never do best ofs. And I've always thought, oh, I didn't want to. It felt like cheating. And now, actually, I think it feels like we have got a really rich canon to choose from and so many guests that are worth revisiting, co-hosts, stories. And, you know, there'll be loads of people that have started listening recently that haven't had time to go back into that vault. There'll be loads of people who'll go, oh, my God, I forgot this episode. This is my favorite. Um, And some of them really bear revisiting This week, it's an episode from August 2017 in which Rachel Paris and I talked to sexologist Alex Fox about orgasms. I think I was much more prudish and less comfortable about talking about orgasms then than I am now. I recently did a crossover episode with Brown Girls Do It Too, and I I found it very liberating to speak frankly. I mean, I'm not somebody who finds it easy. I was raised in a religious cult, but I, I think I am finally, you know, after seven and a half years coming, getting better at this. The reason I want to revisit this episode is Rachel Paris has one of the most interesting, relevant stories on orgasms uh, that I could possibly imagine. And when it comes to listener questions, I'm well out of my comfort zone. But Alex Fox is not. She is the most liberated person when it comes to sex, and she is an expert. So really enjoy this episode on orgasms. What's your name in the front row there? Jamie, I'm a feminist, but could you open my water for me? I, can't, I just can't do it. I'm just not interested at all. And thank you so much. I just struggle and struggle. I once had to ask a taxi driver to pull over because I was dehydrated and my hands were going red and I was virtually in tears trying to open a bottle of water. I have no strength in the hand. And that's not a good start for an episode on orgasms. <laughs> that I feel as well something I feel guilty about is the fact that I didn't say this to you backstage but you've invited me on this particular episode and I know why because Deb knows a story about me and orgasms that I am going to tell you she agreed to do I mean to be fair I haven't sprung it on her it wasn't like I didn't say oh let's do it on handicrafts and then when she's out the back orgasms (laughs) I'd love to talk about handicrafts in many ways I will be um But I feel that my role today, in many ways, is representing the prude, in a way. Oh, 
That's um, interesting. A bit. Like, I'll talk about what I'm going to talk about, but I do... As you may have noticed backstage, I was perfectly relaxed, and then we started actually talking about sex, and I was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, we'll talk about what we're talking about, but I don't want to delve too far into it. Everyone's got their own ideas about it. Um, <laughs> so that will be my role today, mm, will mm, be to represent yeah. that section of the community that may feel that way. You did go a bit Women's Institute at one point. I know! <laughs> Do you want to go first? Yes, I'll go first. Good. <laughs> Everything now sounds to me. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I'm going to come first. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when I heard that John Hamm was dating Jenny Slate, I thought, wow. He's dating a brunette comedian, not a blonde supermodel. What a lovely man. I love him even more now. Like he's doing this incredibly talented, funny, bright, successful woman a favour by dating her and not a supermodel. What the fuck? My own brain. Oh, what a nice man to date one of the most successful women. I mean, uh, what? Like, I'm a feminist, but I started trying to get out of the women's march after 45 minutes because I found it a little bit claustrophobic. (laughs) It was a bit much. (laughs) It was very wonderful and empowering, but then there were just too many people and it was very loud. (laughs) And I felt a bit enclosed and I tried to get out and it was very hard to leave because there were so many women. um, Blogging up the pathway. Blocking up the pathway. And then I couldn't... (laughs) get an uber because <laughs> the roads were blocked were you trying to uber your way out of a march no no i'm a feminist but when i heard that john ham was dating brunette comedian jenny slate i thought oh fuck he was accessible Who saw that coming, though? I didn't see it coming. I didn't know. I would have made more of an effort. I would have tried. I would have given it a good go if I'd known that. I'm a feminist, but I find... Sorry. I don't know. Okay, I'll just say it. I'm a feminist, but I find men fixing things like shelves and opening water bottles a huge turn-on. <laughs> LAUGHTER What's your name? Jamie, I've remembered. Jamie. <laughs> Handymen. Uh, Handymen. Mm. Mm. Well, it demonstrates. See, you know, I said I was going to be the prude on the show. Mm. I'm literally just talking about men fixing shelves, and I'm actually blushing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, handymen. Oh, that's interesting. Are you single, Jamie? Okay. Are you with your partner here tonight? Okay, so this has just got a little bit awkward. No. No. Were you also slightly aroused when your boyfriend Jamie opened my water in such a manly way? No. No. You've seen it before. You've seen it all before. You've seen him open water loads of times. If this is what he does in public, think what he does at home. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but when I heard that John Hamm was dating Jenny Slate... I decided not to read anything about it because it could be made up and it's just salacious celebrity gossip. And then I read all of it. (laughs) Like every single thing I could find. I mean, it's probably not even true. They probably just went to a movie together because they're making a movie together or something and they were like, oh, we should see this. And then on the way out, he just put his arm around her 
to be chivalrous and guide her. Chivalrous. I mean, again, I mean, <laughs> in a mad many sort of way. He just sort of guiding away from the paparazzi. I don't know. It's probably not even true. It's like you were just writing really tame erotica. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of erotica I write. That's my fan fiction. It's basically my porn is just really men in well cut suits. Um, really, I don't. Oh, I don't go for a suit. Uh, well, I, okay. How about this? Different tastes. A man in a kilt playing with a puppy. <laughs> Strongly agree. Do you know what I mean? Strongly agree. Um, a man in a naval uniform oh. playing a grand piano. <laughs> do you see where I'm going with this? Yes. Yeah. I do, okay. and I like it. White tie, smoking a French cigarette. On a garden gate. <laughs> These are my fantasies. None of them involve nudity. Okay, fireman. Oh. Holding a baby. <laughs> it's oh. a standard one, I know. It's not exactly niche, is it? No, it's not niche. There's hardly any puppy kilt calendars. We should make one. Who, Jamie, would you be in a puppy kilt? <laughs> if we needed you to. If we needed you to, would you do a puppy kilt calendar, Mr July? If the puppies were cute. High standard of puppies. Mm. I'm a feminist, but I would almost certainly have plastic surgery as long as no one found out about it. <laughs> that makes me think you've already done it. <laughs> oh, no. How <laughs> oh, annoying would that be if what? people thought that you Where had and you hadn't fuck? even Would had you have plastic surgery? Face? Re- but, Thighs? It... Bum? What? <laughs> Anywhere, really. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> but not yet no not yet in like two years or something I mean that is how you, I hope you really wouldn't because you're beautiful do you know you. my husband has said to me the only thing that would make me leave you is you having plastic surgery anything else would be fine or I could fit anything else but if you cut open your beautiful body I couldn't bear it and he said I would nurse you back to health and then I would go because I, I, I couldn't bear the idea that you cut open your beautiful body and I said, Tom, let's get real. If you came home and found me in bed with my plastic surgeon, you wouldn't leave. <laughs> That's our joke. <laughs> it's nice. a very healthy marriage. <laughs> I'm not actually planning on being in bed with my plastic surgeon when he comes home. I would definitely do it when I knew he was out. And <laughs> do it in a, his hotel, I don't know, at, at the surgery. <laughs> Why am I bringing him home? There's no need. Also, I don't think a plastic surgeon would be very turned on by you because he or she, she... She with the, the plastic surgeon was a woman all along. You didn't see that coming, did you? No, you heteronormative people who assumed it was a man. Wasn't a man. I am having a lesbian love affair with my plastic surgeon and we're very happy. So many revelations tonight. So many revelations. None of that has happened. Live from the underbelly this is the guilty feminist the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them okay great um so orgasms yes. what was your challenge rachel my challenge is a challenge that I actually set myself when I was 24, and now I'm not. Um, so basically, a bit of background to uh, the challenge that I'm going to talk about. So I didn't have an orgasm for six years. 
it was the first six years, to be clear. Not of my life. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be a story, would it? Um, of, uh, of having sex. So, like, I started having sex when I was 18, and then I carried on having sex, <laughs> just endemically. And then, um, and then it wasn't until I was uh, 24 that I had an orgasm. And I wasn't faking it, and I was sort of having, like, a fair bit of sex, like, short relationships, like, a couple of one-night stands. Um, and I wasn't faking it, although I look back and I wonder if what I was doing in those years could have been misconstrued as faking it. Because, you know, a few of us have had sex here, haven't we? A few, about a third of the audience has had sex. So, you know, if you have had sex, like, it does cause you to make some... Even if you're not in the middle of an orgasm, it does cause you to make some noise, doesn't it? You know, it does, doesn't it? Like, if someone comes, comes, a, if someone comes along and, like, you know, puts a peanut up your nose... Or a hula hoop on your finger whatever the metaphor is you know you're like oh oh that's up there it might never come out so I was making noise I was making noise it's not like I handed these like men a card at the end a laminated card that said I categorically did not have an orgasm just now I've had them made but um so I hadn't had an orgasm because I didn't know what female orgasm, uh, how it worked or what it was or that it was a thing. Because like when I was growing up, I don't know about any of you, but like at school, like in education, like you say, all they talked about was how not to get pregnant, which I continue to absolutely nail. Um, like they didn't talk about female orgasm at all. They didn't say that it was A, a thing that existed, the words literally weren't said by anyone, or B, a thing that doesn't happen automatically, because obviously it doesn't happen automatically for... I know some women come very quickly and very easily, and that's wonderful. You know, statistically, three of you are coming right now. Um, and if you are, do tweet Deborah afterwards. Um, but for a lot of women, it's something you need to practice, you know, to get comfortable with your body and find out what works for you. Something you need to practice just sort of like by yourself over years and learn how it all works, like Etch-a-Sketch or something. Um, so anyway, I was 24. There wasn't any particular event that made me do this. It was just like enough is enough. I do remember my flatmates were away <laughs> for a few days. So I kind of had the flat to myself. I didn't know what I thought I was going to do. Um, so I went to buy a vibrator from Ann Summers, which was interesting. <laughs> sort of like a punk Helen Mirren would like come up and... Uh, you'd be looking at the vibrators on the wall. She'd say things, critiques of the models that I didn't even understand. Like, thorough. I understood that one or um, robust or uh, surprising <laughs> didn't know how surprising you wanted to be but um, anyway I bought a vibrator and I took it home and I actually booked uh, two days off work because <laughs> I didn't know how long it would take because it had been six years it had been six years so I thought why am I thinking that like in a few hours I'm going to crack this when it's been six years so I booked two days off work. I didn't need both of those days, <laughs> it turns out. What I definitely did need was a vibrator. Like, I think I definitely, for that first hurdle, I needed, like, something a bit more intense to sort of, like, take me over the edge and something that when I think you would just take your hand away, you know, you'd just be like, oh, because I can't remember, I don't know, like, you're obviously, I don't know your history, guys. I haven't researched it. <laughs> if you can remember, like, before you've got used to having an orgasm, it's a bit a strange feeling like a little bit in too intense sometimes and that is the point where I would stop always stop or push someone's hand away or leave the room um 
anyway, so I did it. I got a vibrator and I just kept going and kept going. And there were moments where I would just stop and be like, I don't like it. I don't like it. But for hours, it took about like four hours. Not constantly. <laughs> not constantly on. But of kind of stop starting, did stop starting. Did you have to change the batteries a couple of times? That's <laughs> what I would think. No, it was a brand new toy. The battery life was incredible. <laughs> but I did it and I was just so incredibly relieved because I had definitely thought that I was broken, that I just never would. I thought I would just be one of those women who just never, ever would. You just couldn't. You just had to teach yourself. How did men respond, like, if you were dating someone new? Yes, yes. If I was in a relationship after, like, a couple of months or something, I'd say, to try and take the pressure off, I'd say, just so you know, like, I never have. (laughs) Doesn't take the pressure off. (laughs) Doesn't it? Then you become, like, a bench that needs fixing. Um, Which Jamie would enjoy, probably. Um, you felt a bit like a sort of UNICEF outreach mission then. Um, but um, Would they kind of go, oh, oh I'll, I can do yeah, it there. Yeah, yeah. I'll it's... be the guy to do it. Don't you worry. And they weren't. Yeah. I was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's actually kind of just getting to know your own body yeah. and spending time with yourself on your own without yeah. the pressure. I love the fact that you booked two days off work because psychologically... <laughs> then you've got the time, haven't you? I think sometimes if you say, well, this might take two days, then you don't get frustrated with yourself in the first two hours. Yeah, I think think that is a huge part of it, is that I knew, and I think that happens in sex, doesn't it, when you feel like there's any pressure from uh, any, like, Going away to a nice hotel sometimes. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, You know, when you've got, like, a mini break or something... And the hotel's gone to a lot of effort to make it yeah. sexy. And you've got one night to yeah, have the best one, sex ever. Yeah, exactly. And you and can't have it any other night. And then the night... So, so yeah, yeah, time pressure is you've paid for thing. it. If that's the problem. <laughs> you've sort of paid for the extra nice suite. Yeah. So if we don't have good sex here, we're just bad at sex. Yeah. We put a curse on the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly right. And I think sometimes we get frustrated if we can't do things straight away. Yeah, absolutely. And then we think, I'm no good, and we attach the ego to the act, whatever that act is. But it's hard to take orgasms not personally. Yes, it is. It and really is, though. Seriously, like, the relationships that I've been in since then, even though now, like, I know more about myself and I have orgasms, which is great, but it's still not easy. Mm. And there's an assumption always at the beginning of a relationship, if someone can't please you immediately in that way, like themselves without any help. And I'm always like, I'm very happy to help. (laughs) I'm a very helpful person. And it doesn't turn me off to do that. But there's an idea of like, if it doesn't happen immediately, then it never will. And that's so obviously. That is not true. (laughs) Uh, Would you like to hear a song from Rachel Paris? Oh, yeah then please put your hands together and make general woohooing noises that are in no way orgasmic for the wonderful Rachel Paris. Thank you. This is, um, this is a song uh, about sex more generally. It's not specifically <laughs> about me getting myself off at home. Um, this is just a general song uh, about sex for some people. See how you feel about it. Thank you, Tom. It's a very sexy song, that's what I should have mentioned. I walk into your bedroom and I ask you to turn out the light Cause my tummy's bloated from the lamb kebab that we ate at the end of the night It's also bloated cause I'm premenstrual, that's the reason why I got the sweats But don't knock being premenstrual, that's the reason why I wanna have sex 
hormones, you know, yeah. We're getting low down, really low down. We're getting low, you're falling off the bed. And I'm shuffling around trying to make some room and then I kick you in the back of the head. Sorry, but now we're going, yeah. Shirt comes off, now we're doing it. Mm, trousers off, now we're getting to it. Shoes and socks off. This takes five full minutes. Double knot, double knot. And I'm sitting naked watching you remove your clothes and have a five-minute reverie about how the concept of stripping for straight men and straight women is just insane to me because not many women get turned on by just a man stripping. It's not inherently sexy. If anything, it's clownish, come hilarious, whereas some men pay to watch averagely attractive ladies just remove their clothes with varying degrees of choreography and often none at all. Then I think about sexism and then I think about the patriarchy. Hmm, and now you're naked! <laughs> Totally naked, except for your knee supports. <laughs> slow it down, slow it down, down, slow it down, slow it down. Stop, just stop, just stop. It's gonna take some time. It might take 40 minutes or more for me to get mine. But you could put a condom on without me asking you to. It's clearly the most sensible thing to do. I don't want a tiny you or an ST. I love it when you do that, but you're on my thigh. Get off my thigh. Now you're talking about whipped cream, so soon whipped cream all over my bedroom. They sing about it in songs, but it feels so wrong. And after a while it goes off and the sheets smell like yogurt. And not in a good way. And don't tell me, by the way, you have to send off to the USA for Trojans in your size. I've got eyes. I can see what's between your thighs. It's perfectly nice, but don't tell lies. Don't you realize I wouldn't lie about the size of mine. I would choose not to talk about it. Ah, <laughs> uh, mm, uh, uh, uh. That was the sound of us making love. Mm, yeah, it was really nice. We've done it twice and that's enough. <laughs> And when we're done, you don't have to hold me all night long. I'm very aware that your arm will go dead, and it's not that comfortable for me either. <laughs> Let's just hug for five minutes, and then sleep in our own space. Now that's what I call satisfaction. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Deborah Francis White. There's no need to do non-musical comedy now. I feel like I want to improvise a song. I must not do that. I sometimes think it's my biggest wonder, actually, that we don't talk about this more often, but that men have a part of their body that moves without their permission. I mean, that is weird, isn't it? Actually, I'm going to say cisgendered men have a part of their body. I'm only talking from my own experience at the moment, my own experiences with cisgendered men. And they have a part of their body that moves without their permission. And I sometimes think, imagine if you were at a party and as a cis woman and you're at a party and you're talking to a man or a woman and you're thinking, oh, they're cute. And then your arm just started to go up like that and just wouldn't go down. It just wouldn't, no matter what you did, 
you couldn't get your arm down. Like, I honestly think if that had happened to women, we would have all been burnt as witches in the Middle Ages. <laughs> all of us. To have a part of your body that moves when you don't want it to and doesn't move when you do. <laughs> like, there's no part of my body like that. So I find it a really odd thing. And because also for me, I can't just see an image of like a penis or something like that, an erect penis, and then get aroused by that. Like what men tell me is they can see a picture of breasts <laughs> and they get a physical response. Something changes in them. And I find that a really odd concept because I have to think quite hard. I have to have sort of multiple storylines. <laughs> like my storylines have to be, I mean, they don't have to be as good as Breaking Bad or anything, but there has to be an A plot and a B plot <laughs> going on. Like I have to really think of it in my mind I can't no image is ever going to just arouse me on its own and likewise with an orgasm I have to be in the right place in my head so basically what I'm saying is I can't do it accidentally and also for me personally it's all very neat and tidy and inside of me so I can have an orgasm without you knowing Uh, I, um, uh, we, I mean, we, we, <laughs> we talked about this on another episode, but I never really sort of talked about the story that a friend of mine was on a plane. She'd just been seeing this really hot guy, and then she got on the plane, and it was like six hours to New York. And it was a long time if you've just been seeing a hot guy, and she was thinking about sort of getting back to see him, and she was really bored on the plane, as you are. And she said, so I just thought, I'll just do it. And I said, well, who was next to you? She said, it was a guy. She said he was a really handsome man, and that really helped. <laughs> and I said, did the guy next to you realise? And she said, no, I don't think so. She said, I had a blanket over my lap. And I just, in my mind, imagine cut to, oh, 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 oh. I just keep having this image of her, like, really dramatically coming on this plane. But she says it was incredibly discreet and that she was able to orgasm without him knowing. Now, I reckon he suspected something. So I'm going to ask you now, if you've ever suspected the person next to you on a plane has had an orgasm, could you just go, hmm? Nobody here suspects anyone next to them on a plane has ever had an orgasm. Okay, so it's definitely possible to do it without anyone realising then. Because clearly people have done it. But men can't as much. I know this because a friend of mine's a flight attendant and she said in business class they have to ask men to stop all the time. Yeah, it's one of their main jobs. Is, that's what she told me, is the main job is to go and say, excuse me, sir, no. <laughs> Whereas women in business class clearly can because... I mean, I think as long as you're by the window, don't do it on the aisle. But if you're by the window and business, you absolutely clearly could because it does take very minimal movement. And this is one of the things, the patriarchy gets nearly all of the good things and women often get that sort of second-class citizen, you know, whatever's left over. But in terms of orgasms, no. Um, these are some things that the patriarchy forgot to steal. You can do it discreetly. You can do it anywhere you don't need you can sort of almost if you're very good at like kegels you know where you clench if you don't know what this is it's sort of where you clench to keep yourself tight (laughs) 
you could almost do it just with sort of a Kegel-like movement against a piece of cloth, I think. I don't know. I haven't personally done that, but I imagine that you could. There's various ways in which I think we have definitely got the upper hand. And one of them is masturbation. And the other one has just gone out of my head because I've just got off an 11-hour flight from L.A. Jamie, could you just entertain them while I think of it? Um, Oh, I've remembered. (laughs) Thank God. We can do it as many times as we like. We can keep coming and coming and coming and coming. The idea, if somebody told me tomorrow, if I was in a body-swapping movie with Jamie, and then tomorrow I ended up in his body, the thing that would make me the saddest is you can only come once, and then you have to wait to refuel like a plane, where you have to do a stopover. Like, I could just get from here to Australia in one go. You have to stop in Hong Kong. Thank you very much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hi, hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. That's DF Dumps. We're recording more live episodes and you can come and see us. Please do. We are live at Soho Theatre in London in August on the 11th, the 12th, the 18th and the 19th. That's August 11th, 12th, 18th and 19th. Get tickets now. We're live from Chichester on the 21st of August. Coincidentally, I'm also doing my play there. I'll tell you about that more in a minute. And we're recording episodes of The Guilty Feminist and Global Pillage. That's a deep cut. We're bringing it back for one episode only at the London Podcast Festival on Saturday the 16th and Sunday the 17th of September. For tickets to any of these shows, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on live shows. I'll be in Chichester, as I mentioned. Did I mention? I mentioned, I think, that I've written a play called Never Have I Ever. It will be on at the Chichester Festival Theatre, the Minerva, for the whole of September. Like I'm a proper playwright. I feel like Neil Simon in the 70s. It stars Alexandra Roach, Amit Shah, Greg Wise and our very own Susan McCormer. It's about money, sex, power, politics, identity and running a restaurant. For tickets, go to cft.org.uk. You can also get ad-free episodes via Patreon, Apple Podcasts, or Acast Plus. And if you're passing iTunes or Spotify, you felt like leaving us a five-star review, you, we'd love you forever. You can review any individual episode. If you've reviewed us before, you can review us again. It helps other people find a podcast, and it gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling, and it gives us a lovely, lovely buzz. So we'd really appreciate it. 
Also, if you're not following or subscribing or whatever it is that you have to do, click that button. It really helps us. And now back to the podcast. Our guest today is a multi-award winning journalist, broadcaster and sex educator. She's a sex and relationships expert for Durex, an ambassador for Brooke, the sexual health advisory charity, and was named Sex Educator of the Year in 2016. Please welcome to the stage, Alex Fox! Hello, superhumans. Hello, Alex. Uh, So, orgasms. If we're having a problem having an orgasm, is there any advice that you can give us? Unfortunately, there are a trillion, zillion, gazillion reasons why an orgasm might not come on demand. One of the things I hear about a lot these days are people struggling to orgasm because they're taking SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. My God, that was a mouthful. And and trust me, I give a lot of mouthfuls. Um, (laughs) Hi, Mum. Hi, Dad. Yeah, a lot more people these days are taking antidepressants. And whatever gender you are, they can, although they can elevate your mood and make life a lot easier in lots of other ways, they can make it very, very difficult to orgasm. I actually recently spoke to a wonderful girl in the States called Krista, who had this very problem. She found that SSRIs were doing wonders for her day-to-day life, but they'd put her bedroom activity right down in the doldrums. Her vagine just was not dancing the flamenco like it used to. (laughs) And that was antidepressants? Yes. Like something like Prozac or something like that? Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, Fluoxetine. And in an attempt to try and make herself orgasm again, she tried a huge variety of sex toys. And the one that she found that worked for her was a very appropriately named Magic Wand. Now, I don't know who here in the audience has seen a Magic Wand before, but it's quite a hefty-looking bit of kit. It's the kind of thing where if you take it to bed with you, you know, if you keep it by the bed... If there was a robber in the middle of the night, you would be well armed. (laughs) Lots of them are mains powered. I've got one, in fact. Is is this a toy? It's a toy. It's, It's a very, very strong vibrator, and that worked for her. But during her quest, she tried lots of other vibrators, some of which weren't so successful for her. So she experimented with other ways to use them. And she actually discovered that if you're suffering from a migraine or if you have blocked sinuses... Just running a small bullet vibrator around your eyes and over your face can release phlegm quite nicely. Although you do look like you're wanking off your own head. Okay, so toys in general... If there was going to be a headline for this podcast episode, wanking off your own head, yeah. it's got yeah. to be it. Surely, yeah. While if this was Alan the... Davies Untitled, I think we'd have just found our title. So you were saying earlier to me that there's a stigma about big toys... Yeah, I'm straight myself, straighter than Roman Road, which I think a lot of people find quite disappointing, actually. I think there's quite a lot of... I'm um... certainly disappointed, <laughs> as I'd imagined an after-party, and this is, this is a terrible way to tell me. Sorry, go on. Well, I think there is actually... I think there's a lot of pressure on... I, I should say, I don't really like the name sexpert. I prefer sex spurt, because that's how most of us came into being in the first place, right? 
But yeah, I think there's quite a lot of pressure on sexperts to necessarily love all of the things that they talk about or to have experienced everything. And that's impossible for just one person. So it's part of my job to talk to other people about their experiences and what makes them experts. And uh, recently I spoke to a lot of women who have sex with women and they quite rightly pointed out that a lot of females are told, yeah, it's empowering and great to have a sex toy, but make sure it's not too threateningly big, because if it's the size of a bollard or a Pringles can, and you have a male partner, then they're going to feel terribly emasculated by this. So make sure it's tiny and feminine and discreet. Uh, and the women I spoke to said, no, make sure it's fuck off and big and it does the job. <laughs> Hence, I invested in the British equivalent of a Hitachi magic wand, which is a doxy vibrator. This thing's got some heft. In fact, I'm surprised I don't have one bicep significantly bigger than the other through using this thing. It's mains powered and... It's mains powered? What, like a drill? It's a power tool, yeah. I thought that would be too much. I think I'd get a bit into, like... What? Well, I do have two. Con- I have three concerns about this, actually. For a start, it works so well that I think I have become mildly addicted and quite used to the, the level of power that my doxy provides. And this is the light dip, people. OK? The second thing that I'm worried about is I think I am actually starting to make myself concave down there. <laughs> <laughs> and the third thing I have concerns about are... <laughs> I moved house in January and I now share with a flatmate so I have to tactically wank when he's out because I'm not a subtle wanker in any way as the audience will know I'm not a subtle wanker I've got neon hair I look like Lisa Simpson finally hit middle age I look like I live too close to Sellafield um, so there's nothing subtle about me but yeah the toys I like to use can be quite loud Uh, And I thought I was being discreet enough to get away with it until the neighbour mentioned that there was quite a lot of noise. And I said, oh, we've got builders in remodelling the kitchen. And now the neighbour keeps asking to see the new kitchen. Do you sound like a kitchen remodel? Because that's a very specific sex noise, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you were talking about women not making noise or not making noise during sex before. This applies to people with penises too. In fact, I used to date someone who um, suffered with depression and he took SSRIs and they had that same effect on him that they made it quite difficult for him to ejaculate. When he did... The sensation was so overwhelming that he couldn't stop himself from making noise. And my nickname for him was Thundercat, because I don't know whether anyone remembers Thundercats, but you know Lino used to go, Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats, ho! Every time. Like a bear being stabbed with a trident. You should definitely trust my advice. I'd like to thank all the brands that work with me. I really think I'm upholding their name. (laughs) You talked in an article about things we could learn from, like, that everybody, queer and straight, can learn from the queer community. Sure. What are those things? What could we learn from the queer community? Well, one of them, as I've just said, is don't be afraid to pick the toys that work for you rather than the toys that you think won't intimidate somebody else. Pick what makes you feel pleasure rather than being too concerned about putting on a show. If you are worried that your partner might be intimidated by a toy you want to use, 
try like giving that power to them. I found that saying, oh, you know, this magic wand toy, it can get me off through my clothes. <laughs> and suddenly they feel like a magic cunt conjurer <laughs> who can perform incredible feats. Other things that I've learned from LGBTQ plus friends and experts, one of my dearest friends is a male dominant called Master Dominic. And he's taught me all sorts, including the fact that, uh, perhaps rather obviously, gay men tend to be less squicked out by the idea of anal play than some straight people do. He made the very good point that playing around with someone's butt, and when you were saying I'm a feminist butt before, I was thinking I have a feminist butt, um, and it's very widescreen. Um, He made the point that butt play doesn't have to be penetrative. You don't have to put anything inside of anything, in fact, for it to be good sex. You can go all around the... all round a round of roses, in fact. Ring a ring of roses. Other things that I have been taught are... Recently, I've been really looking into toys for people with penises because I think, although it's seen as quite a standard, empowered, but quite normalised thing these days for most people with vaginas to own a toy, you know... Quite frankly, my bedside drawer looks like Watership Down. There are so many dead rabbits in there. Uh, And no one so far has commented on this. Um, But if you... (laughs) But if a cisgendered man says that he has a toy, I think people either seem to assume that he is some incredibly intense Christian Grey type who's got a dungeon lurking where the washing machine used to be, Or that he is some kind of loner who lives with his parents and is too socially inept to get a girlfriend, and so he has a disembodied vagina in a vase. Um, Or some other kind of Ed Guy-esque vagina. A vase would make it worse, though. Yeah, it would. would That's not... That's a leap of assumptions, but... Yeah, I see what you mean, that women are allowed to go into Anne Summers or Harmony or wherever you go. Uh Uh-huh. And by the vibrator, but if a man did it... For men, it's, it's a lot more stigmatised in the UK that's currently. That's really true. You are, yeah, you see some... Well, I don't, straight know, I don't know what's on the market, but, like, when you see, like, some of the toys for men in, like, in Soho and stuff, you're like, oh, my God, mm. who would buy that kind of thing? Yeah, there that's is a, that very interesting. Although a friend of mine started dating a guy who brought out a dildo from his previous relationship and wanted to put it in her, and she was like, fuck the fuck off. Like, <laughs> if you want to use a dildo, then you have to buy a new one. That's the minimum requirement. (laughs) Which I think, fair. Fair. That is quite politically sensitive, though, because some sex toys cost an arm and a leg, whether they're the size of an arm or a leg. Even some of the very tiny ones are very expensive. That is true. They are crazy expensive. Plus, ecology, recycling, good for the world, not so good for genitals. No, I just... No, I hear what you're saying, but I still would feel... Like, the thing is, I could take my vibrator from relationship to relationship. It only goes in me. I don't want... (laughs) This is... We're off topic. Um, (laughs) You you don't want to be penetrated with a thing that has been inside somebody else's orifice. Oh, shit. I've forgotten about the penis. (laughs) Of course. Oh. There is a bit of a failure of logic there. That is so true. You've, uh, that's he- so headline true. number two for this episode. Uh, yeah, <laughs> forgotten exactly. about the penis. I've forgotten about the penis. But he can't really go to Anne Summers and get a new. I mean, if he could, I'd make him. Um, <laughs> Anne Summers is very reasonably priced. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for him to have a new Anne Summers penis. Um, Do you know? I have actually, speaking of new penises, I give advice on a variety of podcasts. 
And one of them recently, I, I get a lot of letters from men who have been circumcised, cisgendered men who've been circumcised, who are worried that the sensitivity of their penis has been compromised as a result. And lots of them ask me ways that they can restore sensitivity. And you can get these little hats, like little nylon hats, like caps that go yeah. on the end of penises, yeah, that you wear to restore sensitivity. But there are people looking into the use of stem cells to regrow foreskins. And you can potentially have a skin graft from elsewhere on your body to create a new foreskin too. Good to know. <laughs> um, um, you said there were 70 ways that we could orgasm, that a woman could orgasm. What are those ways? <laughs> this was actually something I heard from a lady called Catherine Dunworth, who is an expert in Tantra. She works for a company called Venus Women. And I met her on a panel talk recently. Catherine said that studying Tantra has taught her that there are over 70 different erogenous zones on a woman's body that can be stimulated to purportedly cause an orgasm. And two of these that I found the most well, I'm going to say eyebrow raising. I think my eyebrows raised so far that they actually, they may as well have been attached to helium balloons. They started to float off my head. The first one she said was urethral orgasm, which involves stimulating a lady's wee hole. And she also said you could take that one step further and have a urinary orgasm where you actually force yourself to do a little bit of pee when you feel an orgasm coming on and that can enhance the sensation. I would pre-warn your partner uh, if if you're going to do a little bit of dribble mid-moment. But the one that really made me sort of cross my legs so many times that they started to look like jeans was, you know, like a double helix, that kind of effect, Uh, was she said that some women can orgasm by having a partner actually penetrate the opening of their cervix, either with a finger... Or a penis, or a toy. And I don't know whether anyone here has ever accidentally bashed their cervix. Jesus Christ. Yikes. Yeah, yeah, it's Uh, pretty full on. Tell us about orgasmic meditation. Ooh. Now, (laughs) that's probably one of my orgasm noises, by the way. Ooh. Um, Orgasmic meditation is a practice whereby... Women get together and are touched either by another woman, but usually by a man, uh, stroked in a very specific way on the clitoris for 15 minutes precisely. And the idea is that it's a goalless exercise. The point of it isn't to try and reach orgasm, but just to feel whatever you're feeling and to let those feelings open up and develop and ride that wave, take that journey wherever it may take you. So is there other... Uh, so many questions. Um... <laughs> Are the men just, uh, they haven't met before? They just, it's a strange man that they don't know? Well, A very well-qualified, but still a strange man. Apparently, since I tried it, I tried it as part of an article that I was writing. Apparently, since I tried it, and on the basis of my experiences, the way that the foundation who teach orgasmic meditation hold their classes and workshops has been changed. Because, unfortunately, my experience was quite traumatic, I should probably warn people in the room that some people may find this a little triggering. I certainly did. You pay uh, several hundred pounds to go and hear someone tell you how great OM, OM, or orgasmic meditation is for around six hours, okay? There's a long, long so time So is the tantric bit the talking? Uh, well, 
<laughs> they just play Sting at you over and over again. <laughs> Six hours of talking. Six, well, there's also a demonstration where a woman and her male partner who've been practicing for a long time do this in front of you. She hitches up her skirts, she gets a foof out for the world to see, and he strokes it, and she makes the kind of noises that suggest that better things are going on in her undercarriage. That you know, it's like it's like. Like a Live Aid concert or something was going down there. And that's not performative or it's more didactic, it's more demonstration. It's a demonstration, but I think the person in question that I saw genuinely was having a wonderful time. So you've had six hours of convincing, you've seen two other people perform this amazing act in front of you and you're really intrigued. And then you're told that you have to pair up, if you feel comfortable with somebody else in the room in order to practice this. And yes, most of them were strangers. Oh, what I, I thought didn't... it was like an expert. No, no. In fact, when I went, and this was several years ago, they have a policy that the teachers are not allowed to touch the pupils because that would be seen as uh, potentially something that could be used in, yeah. in a, in a yeah. damaging the way. way that you, yeah, the, the it could be exploitative. You, yeah, the yeah. way that, yeah, having an affair with a college professor or something yeah. like that, yeah. So you have to pair up with someone in the room, if you so desire. There is the opportunity to say no. But after six hours and a demonstration and the financial incentive that you may well have paid several hundred pounds to be there, there's actually quite a lot of coercive pressure to go ahead with it. What I didn't know is that everybody else in the room had already been to a previous kind of meet and greet and get to know each other, apart from a me. So event. Yeah, so they'd all kind of previously the kicked event. their oh, partners. I hate networking yeah. events at the best of times, but that's <laughs> pressure, isn't it? Do they give you a name badge and half a glass of warm white wine like at normal networking events? Everyone had already checked out everyone else's LinkedIn pages. I oh, think. Yeah. So oh. I ended up with the one person in the room who I had mentally pegged as the one I really didn't want to get together with. Absolutely um, could not do that. Absolutely could not do that. That is awful. That is really. There was also some journalistic pressure on me. Of to course, go ahead of course. With this, I'm not so. saying you shouldn't have done it. I'm just, go, I'm just having a. Sort I don't of think I should have done it. I don't think I'm, I should have done I'm it. I'm having a visceral tightening. Yes. Um, which actually brings us to. Um, I can never say this word. Vag. Vaginismus. 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 It always sounds like an orgasm at Christmas to me. <laughs> Happy yeah, Vaginismus. <laughs> Get it, the fairy lights out. It, yeah. I said it sounds fire. like a rodent, like dormouse, vaginous mouse. Oh, that's interesting. But for me, it sounds like all my Christmases have come at once, but it doesn't mean that. <laughs> no, quite the opposite, in fact. Vaginismus is a condition whereby it's partly psychological, but it becomes physical. It involves a woman's vaginal muscles clamping up with such force that penetration with anything, be it a tampon, a finger, a penis, a toy anything becomes so painful that it's pretty much impossible and the reasons that lead to a woman being stricken with this condition can be extremely complicated they can be linked to trauma you know how you clench up sometimes when you're worried or nervous or stressed about something some people get so clenched up in their minds about something sexual that their body reacts in kind and then that can be very difficult to undo that tightness even when you want to later in your life on one of my podcasts, Close Encounters for The Guardian, I talk to people about their sex and relationships and their sexual lives. And the very first episode, in fact, I spoke to a woman who was from quite an orthodox Greek background. 
And as a young person, she'd seen many of her female relatives who were vibrant, charismatic, vivacious young women settle down in marriages and, in her eyes, be confined to the kitchen and dulled and compressed and repressed as people. So she began to associate the process of growing up with the loss of her liberty. And she became very, very frightened about growing up. Uh, She said that when she went through puberty, when she started her periods, she went to bed and just decided she was going to try and block it out. She did not want to grow older. When she hit her 20s and decided that actually she was quite happy being a grown-up and that she'd like to start a sexual relationship, she found that this fear of growing older had been internalised to the point where her vagina had clamped up. And she was kind enough to tell me about all the things that she had tried to unlock and unblock herself. In the end, she had a lot of success seeing a specialist therapist called Sarah Berry, who I cannot, I just cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, She runs several workshops and support groups. She used to do coffee mornings and things called Fanny's Rule, where women would get together and talk about their undercarriages and the potential challenges that can arise henceforth from such things. But one thing that this interviewee told me that really shocked me was that she did some internet research into vaginismus and she found uh, various chat rooms where people were discussing it. One woman, in an attempt to numb the pain that was being caused by her attempts to have intercourse with her partner, had used Bongella on her vagina to try and desensitise it. Mm. This is something we need to talk about more. Mm. People are using oral gels on their lady gardens in an attempt to solve these issues. And Yeah, well, this is really it's why it's a feminist shit. issue, isn't it? There's been a long history of the male orgasm being prioritised. And it's partly because in order to procreate, you need a penis to ejaculate, but you actually don't need a clitoral orgasm yeah. in order to have a yeah. baby so I think there have been whole generations where it was seen as sort of slightly unseemly and I think when we talk about it as well I always think when I was talking about it because I talked about it in my show last year like talking about women finding orgasm difficult it's obviously like I've very much first handedly I know that men can find orgasm difficult as well obviously that sort of is a given I know that that's the case but I do think that there's more of the case of women finding yeah well, difficult. yeah I don't know about that I mean the other thing we can fake it and I know we shouldn't fake it, probably, should we, Alex? Hmm. People with penises do fake it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, in fact, to a larger degree than you might expect, because there is pressure to ejaculate. Sometimes right. if people are just too tired or if they're, they're How struggling... How do they fake it, though? Because can you not tell? If someone's wearing a condom, then yes, they can just whip it out. Uh, if they're not... Oh, I'm sorry, this is really gross, but I have heard from several men who said that while they were having sex doggy style, so from behind... They pulled out and spat on their partner's Oh! Back. Questions from the audience. <laughs> Anyone got a question? A, a good answer, oh. though, to the idea of should you fake it? Mm. No, uh, pretending to have an orgasm really just repeats a negative feedback loop because the person you're with will think you're having a wonderful time, so they'll keep on doing the same things and you'll never reach orgasm, Bill. However... Going through the motions of squeezing your body and breathing in a way that you would when you do come can actually bring an orgasm on. So that's so, more like a fake it till you make it. Yeah. So do the things with your body, but don't do them for your partner. Do them in order to sort of suggest to your body this is where you'd like to go. I think we're just trying to get a mic down there for questions. Hi. Hi. 
Firstly, Deborah, I'm the girl with the chocolate. Hey! <laughs> My partner. Sorry, on Twitter. What's your name? <laughs> My name's Catherine. Catherine. On Twitter, Catherine said, I own a chocolate shop. Can <gasps> I bring you some chocolate? I have chocolate for you too as well, although I didn't know who was going to be here, so I just have an, a range that I can distribute. <laughs> I am not <laughs> complaining. That is the greatest. So brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So, Catherine has brought something better than orgasms yeah. to the table. <laughs> well done, Catherine. My partner takes fluoxetine. I was very relieved to hear you talk about it because it's the thing that dominates my sexual life. Just talking to the mic. The other side of that is I have almost exactly the opposite problem to you, which is that everything down there is really close together and I can come without touching myself and have done embarrassingly so... (laughs) On trains, on planes, on buses. Buses is the biggest one. The, I'm not shy about it. I have been doing this since I was eight. <laughs> I have a relationship with someone who I am completely sexually incompatible with because I can be finished to the point of like pain within five minutes. And I was wondering if you have come across that before or if you have any tips. <laughs> Alex, this is very much your department. You're absolutely not alone. It's less common, I must admit, for people with vaginas to find it easier to orgasm than not. But you're certainly not the first person I've, I've come across, so to speak, uh, who's said that they can orgasm so easily that... Um, do you ever get bored? Does it become non-sexual because you can come so often and with such regularity? I find it difficult to connect orgasms with having sex because they happen in Sainsbury's or you know and because it happened to me when I was a child and I wasn't having sex and I didn't have sex till I was about 16 17 and it's something that happened for 10 years before I started having sex and before anything like that happened to me also it means when I have sex with my partner he is the person having sex I'm not right I think to unpack the link between your sexual feelings for you being quite intrinsically and potentially disturbingly related to childhood, I'd recommend going and chatting with a great counsellor about that. I'm sure you have spoken about this with your partner, but if you are able to, then it would be really brilliant for them to be able to understand your point of view. Um, Apart from that, can I ask, what genitals does your partner have? A penis. That makes life kind of a little bit easier in some ways. I think often foreplay, I hate the term foreplay, by the way, because I think it frames intercourse as the main event of sex when it doesn't have to be. I don't use that voice in the bedroom, but... (laughs) I think foreplay often focuses on women, but in your case, it might be useful to focus the foreplay more on your male partner so that when he is absolutely at the cusp of about to explode then you can have penetrative sex if you want to have you heard of tenga eggs no i am about to suggest that you use a yoke to wank off your bloke okay these are a japanese toy we spoke earlier about how in the uk male masturbation toys are viewed with some stigma but in japan there is this brand called tenga who make toys for people with penises that don't look like vaginas in fact they work with the quite highbrow artists they've done a a range of toys with keith herring for example Uh, they have their own energy drink over there they're really normalized as a company and they've just (laughs) (laughs) i 
honestly, I've just got off a plane and it's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. They have their own, they have their own energy yeah. drink. I mean, it's been quite a lot for me to come out and talk about my own orgasms. And now I feel like I'm hearing about an egg with an energy drink <laughs> that I have to buy for my partner. Well, these Japanese toys, they're trying to uh, push them in the UK. And one of the most popular ones, it looks like a little silicone egg. It's soft and stretchy and squidgy, and it's got a hole in the bottom. And what you, how you use it is you pour a little bit of lubricant into the hole, pop it on the end of your partner's knob, where it will look uncomfortably like a squid about to eat. <laughs> so, so you have to kind of get over that, unless you're into tentacle erotica, in which case your dreams have just come true. And then if you or he use your hand to slide that up and down his shaft, like you were giving him a normal hand job. What's different about this is inside each egg, there's a different type of texture. So some of them are knobbly, some of them are wavy, some of them have ridges. I'm really sorry I brought it up, Deborah. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm delighted. It's a great way of you being able to give him a new form of pleasure that's likely to get him very excited very quickly. And then you can literally and figuratively meet in the middle when you're both ready to roll. Um, so that might be one solution. If you want to, let's talk afterwards about others. Do we have any other burning questions? Yes. If you have one, a burning question, please go to a GUI. Um, yeah, we might need to refer to you over here. Yes. Hiya. So I kind of have the opposite problem to Catherine in that um, I've never had sex, but I have had quite a few orgasms, courtesy of myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was yeah, me fist pumping you for triumph, not trying to suggest that you're fisting yourself. <laughs> no, funnily enough, not. Um, That's fine if you're into it, though. Um, my issue is, is that I'm slightly concerned that I obviously have only got experience with myself and I know very intimately what I like, what I'm used to. And my concern is then when I go and start having sex with other people, I don't know how, because obviously I know what that feels like. And so I'm concerned that I'll go into it and then it will just be really kind of shit from the beginning because I might not orgasm, I might not be used to it because it's awkward and all that jazz. And I just thought of any of you sort of have any advice. I still feel that way. I still feel that way now. And I've had several relationships since having an orgasm. But I, because I started off like doing it myself and I, I feel very comfortable with yeah. that and how I work when I'm doing it myself. But I still, like, in each relationship, I don't feel completely qualified. I'm just going on my <laughs> no, experience. No, no, it's fine. But, um, but in each relationship, I found it a completely different journey of discovery and um, <laughs> trial and error. And I find low expectations to be crucial. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, oh, come um, on. <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. And... Um, that you get there in really different ways. And so I've found in the sort of long-term relationships that I've had, for one thing, it has taken loads of time and patience. And for me to... I know exactly what you mean. Like, that pairing, like, well, I, I know what I'm doing in this scenario, <laughs> but how does that translate when there's yeah. someone else here? Yeah, exactly. Um, That's doing kind of this. the issue. <laughs> but I've just found that talking about it and really learning each other very well... And I found that in each relationship, there have been very different sexual um, practices, different ways in which you do get each other off. And it's actually varied from person to person. Have you been pretty honest from the beginning about that? Or? Yeah, always, actually. Since um, 
the challenge the, when I was the two days off from work yeah exactly <laughs> this the uh, intimate two days um yeah I found being honest is really really important actually and it does take the pressure even if it doesn't take the pressure off them it takes the pressure off you a little bit is what I found I had sex very late because I was in a cult and so um <laughs> and it wasn't one of the good cults where they encourage it it was one of the bad cults where they don't allow it and uh that's not okay to say, is it? Good cults. I've made out that sex cults are good cults. That was, that was me trying to be flippant, but actually being incredibly insensitive. No, I was a Jehovah's Witness, as I've talked about many times. Have you just punched the air in sisterly triumph there? Were you a sister? Excellent. Um, we can talk later. Obviously not now, because you have a sleeve tattoo. And that is not allowed, along with anything fun. Um... So, yeah, we weren't allowed... I wasn't allowed to... um, I'm straight and I wasn't... Well, I'm sort of slightly going off the whole idea of binary anything. I think Mm -hmm. gender binary is a bit of a crock as well. I mean, I think it's impossible with six billion people in the world that we're all going to neatly fit into this one or this one. And I think as well with sexuality, women are hot. I mean, of course I want to have sex with a woman. It's just I'm currently in a monogamous relationship with a man. And it's just... (laughs) This I mean, is where the is, sex cult might come in handy. No, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> I'm not going to turn this podcast into a sex cult, as tempting as that is. Um, what I'm going to say is I wish, because I was a Jehovah's Witness, we weren't allowed to masturbate. Obviously, it's hard for them to police that. But <laughs> they do it with, like all cults, you self-police and you police each other. Fat I re- cops. Uh, <laughs> fat cops, yeah. I remember once being at a young brother's house, as we would call each other sisters and brothers, and he was probably 18, and he was sharing a flat with his brother, and I saw there was a, a Watchtower article about trying not to masturbate, that he had it all underlined, and he was studying with an elder, like having a special weekly Bible study about how not to masturbate. And I, <laughs> it wasn't funny for him. Um, but as a woman, I hadn't started masturbating, and because I hadn't started, I hadn't got it going. And so when I've asked my former Jehovah's Witness friends, did you? All the men say yes, obviously we did, and then we just prayed about it, we tried not to, and we felt guilty, and we'd go through that cycle. But a lot of the women say, no, we never did, because we never started. We didn't have a starter for 10, basically. So I started everything very late, and I wish I'd done what you've done and got to know yourself before you started with partners. I think that's the greatest thing in the world, because I didn't know myself that well when I began. And then I think... You're trying to do it in public almost, like you're trying to do it with an audience before you've had a rehearsal. I mean, I don't know. I'm in show business. That's how I think about it. Yeah, and, and now you've got the knowledge. <laughs> yeah. You take that with you. Um, I mean, do take your vagina with you. Go to somebody else and say, okay, I know what I'm all about. You do but this. They'll love that. <laughs> they might surprise that. you. you it that. might surprise you. They may do things to you, with you, on you, for you. <laughs> That's. That surprise you and you find new pleasure with them. It's different being with a partner, but sometimes, even though you have a partner, if you do, it is a bit quicker and cleaner and easier to do it yourself, isn't it? I mean, it's less time-wasting. There are some techniques that you can use to try and teach a partner what you already know so well about yourself. You're an expert teacher when it comes to your own pleasure. I always say that no one can really have their best sex until they're BBB. You've got to be your own best body buddy. Know yourself and know what works for yourself. That sounds unsexy to me, best body buddy. 
I'm automatically turned off for the rest of my life just hearing that. Well, to Says me, it sounds a bit like BLT, so sex and bacon. Already no. I am turned off. No. Have you noticed that a lot of magazines, by the way, make all sex? It's got a sizzle. What is that? It's not a fry-up. <laughs> oh, well. Um, yeah, one thing that you might want to try if and when you find a partner you feel comfortable doing this with is actually saying, I'm going to show you what I do to myself. And get them to vocalise what you're doing. If you're into sexy talk, get them to actually say what you're doing. Not only can that be quite an erotic thing to do together, but also I find that it actually goes into somebody's mind a bit better because you're kind of testing them on it. Oh, so it's like a GCSE quiz. Yeah. Sort of like flashcards. What do I like? (laughs) There is a flash. Yeah, like trying to learn French verbs. If you're a bit too shy for that, another technique I've called hide and peek. Ask your partner to leave the room and not come back for 10 minutes. And during that 10 minutes, you put on the music that makes you feel relaxed, you get yourself in position and you start doing your thing. And then when they're ready, your partner can come back, just open the door a little bit and essentially spy on you. And it can help you feel like you're alone so you don't feel quite so much like they're right there and, you know, staring right into inside you in a gynecological manner and for them it can be erotic because they feel like they're witnessing something quite personal and private and that can be very exciting so that works for some people but like with many sex things no one thing is going to suit everybody so what do you think of that rachel that sort of <laughs> why make... are you looking at like, i don't know asking I just... me as though you're like i will definitely have an opinion <laughs> i don't know i just want to sort of tie it all so at the like, end well really. rachel seems like a natural voyeur so <laughs> um, yeah. I think that sounds quite nice, but uh, I, I like to know if someone's definitely there or not. I'd want a heads up. Yeah. I'd want a heads up. What about a webcam in the other room? I yeah, think that, that might be. That would be fine. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. What can we call that? The, the web and Deb. <laughs> My favourite thing about this podcast, the John which the Ham cam. can't enjoy, is... Deb's facial expressions yeah, it's, all the way through all of these sexual practices has been absolutely hilarious. I just, I find it hard. I sometimes think, what do I do with my face? You know, and sort of like when I'm hearing something like that, because I think I've probably got quite a low embarrassment threshold for this kind of thing. Yeah, I and I well. wish I didn't. If you push the boundaries, you find that new place. And I think, I wish I was more Tulula Bankhead, more hedonistic, and I was sort of running little mini orgies out of my flat. If I were doing that, like, I'd just be in it, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really comfortable on stage, for example. That's a lovely, fun, relaxing, wonderful place for me to be most of the time. I wish I was more like that about sex, and I think probably orgies are the answer. You, but, what you're clearly saying is that you want to start a sex cult. That is so obvious. Cult is too strong. Sect. A sex sect. And you said backstage you were going to say something about transgender experience, which I just wanted to ask you about. There are more and more transgender toys on the market, actually, now. Sex toys which are specifically designed for people with trans bodies. There's quite a famous trans man porn actor called Buck Angel, who's recently produced a toy for people who have enlarged clitorises. And there's also a great company in the UK called Hot Octopus. They made this revolutionary toy called The Pulse, and it was marketed as the world's first vibrator, a vibrator specifically designed for people with penises. What's great about it is you don't have to be able to get an erection to use it. It can give people who either are suffering from erectile dysfunction or who have nerve damage or other forms of disability that mean getting a hard-on is hard, it can still give them orgasmic feelings. And 
They are about to launch their first toy that can be used for people with vaginas. So that's exciting. Wonderful. And you said also there was some kind of, um, if people are disabled, there was some kind of orgasm you could have through your scalp. Yes. Uh, I am good friends with a group of strippers who work specifically with people who have very advanced forms of paralysis, who are paralysed from the neck down. They also work with people who have visual impairments or are completely blind and other sensory impairments. One thing that one of these strippers does is that she wears very tactile clothes, so like a feather boa or uh, she's got a bikini that has different materials on each tit, so that when she's working with blind clients, they know what they're feeling according to the sensation of the material. And she anoints herself with different scents at different points on her body. I think there's a lot that we can all learn about sensory experience as humans there it's quite imaginative it's something that we can apply to our own sex lives perhaps and yeah there are also strippers and sex workers who are working with people with severe disabilities who've learned to give very very delicate head massages and scalp massages and pinpoint nerve endings across the skull that can result in pleasurable feelings that are akin to an orgasm Great. So that's the opener for my orgy. Yeah. Is because that's a that's a sort of unembarrassing. We can all do it with our clothes on. The scalp orgasm. Yeah. I'm going to find out how to do that, Rachel, and I'm going to invite you over. I am there. <laughs> I could see the way you turned to me then, like the way in cartoons they have dollar signs in their eyes. You just had like a sort of vibrator in your eye. I did. I did. That would be um, painful. Absolutely. <laughs> Rachel, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I didn't get that. Um, Yes, I do. I'm doing a musical comedy and stand-up comedy show called Keynote, and it touches on all sorts of themes from giving speeches and feminism and everything, really. Uh, And that's on at the Edinburgh Fringe, if you're going up at all, from the... 3rd to the 28th of August. Also, I'll be up there with a show called Ostentatious, which is on at 1.30 every day as well. And um, I'd Wonderful love to hear from you show. on Twitter. I'm at Rachel Paris on Twitter. Please do get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Alex, do you have anything to plug? Yes, please do follow me on Twitter. It's Alex with one eye, like Cyclops, and then Fox, like the animal that goes through your bins. I do a podcast with Ollie Mann called The Modern Man, where I have a section called The Foxhole, where every single week I answer people's sex and relationship questions. If you have a question you'd like to ask, you can go to modernman.co.uk and click feedback. I also do a podcast called Close Encounters. Season two is coming soon. And I implore you, if you would like some really solid sex advice, no matter your age, check out Brooke's new revamped website. It's also a really good place for resources for anybody who works with young people. We've got loads of free workshops and free training courses and Brooke are doing fantastic work. Wonderful. And the thing I have to plug, we did a special podcast recording at our Leadership Day. People paid to come on the Leadership Day. Every other podcast is just out on the normal feed on Monday. But if you want this one, which is about negotiating and our guest was a hostage negotiator, you have to pay £5 that £5 then will go into the kitty to make future events more affordable for a wider variety of people. And it's also a way to support the podcast. We don't do Patreon. We don't do advertising. It's completely free at point of use, although thank you all for coming and buying a ticket today. Um, Also, please go to Global Pillage, globalpillage.net, which is my diversity-based comedy panel show. And if someone got a charity that they would like to promote and collect for tonight. Yes, somebody over there. Could you tell us your charity? What's your name? My name's Daisy. Daisy, and what's your charity? 
So in the theme of knowing your own body, uh, I work for a charity called Cop A Feel. We're a breast cancer awareness charity. <laughs> Cop A Feel. Uh, so we try and raise awareness to get young people and women and men to know their own bodies and trust their own touch. And so, yeah, we go out into festivals and universities and we have a wonderful team of boobettes who have been affected by breast cancer, have had experiences in going to workplaces. And so, yeah, we just want to keep spreading the word. To Super. You. So Copperfield today, if you want to donate some money to Copperfield on the way out, there'll be someone at that door and someone at that door. They're raising money to raise awareness, to get to know your own body so that if you do have breast cancer or similar, you know the signs. Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at guiltfempod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com slash theguiltyfeminist. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. Thank you very much. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Rachel Paris, and our very special guest, Alex Fox. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. The music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zalitsky from the Spot and Data Shop. Thanks to Tony and Hannah from PBJ Live and everyone at The Underbelly, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Thank you very much. Good night. See you the bar. Somebody's in the wrong show. No? Somebody didn't know it was going to be about orgasms. No? What's happening? Because they, no, if they were going to the loo, I'd get that, but she's taken all of her bags, including her shopping. Genuinely need to know what that was. No. I don't know. The babysitter texted. My friend was in... We did this, did this show in LA with Rachel Bloom yeah. from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. My friend was in the audience, and she said, I was enjoying it so much. My babysitter texted me... Sally is in bed. She said, I quickly looked down and misread it as Sally's dead. <laughs> and she said, I thought, oh, that's got to be a typo. And just kept, kept. <laughs> she said, she said, I've honestly got a text saying my child was dead. And I thought, I'm just having such a nice time. I'm sure it's not accurate. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.